1: If you've been around for any of this month, you know that we are celebrating all month long. I absolutely know that it might seem strange to celebrate with the current global pandemic, but we want to be an encouragement to you guys and say thank you for helping the Happy Hour celebrate our sixth year. Yes, last Saturday, the Happy Hour podcast that you're listening to right now turned six years old. I just can't believe it's been six years of making shows that encourage, inspire, and point us all back to Jesus. What an honor and what a privilege to be a part of every Wednesday with you as we share these amazing women and men with you throughout the last six years. Okay, friends, to celebrate all the birthdays we have this month, we have some shareables over on my webpage. Go to jamieivy.com slash celebrate. There you're going to see information about the happy hour's birthday. You're going to see information about how we are celebrating that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. You're going to see information about celebrating my birthday. You're going to see lots of fun stuff over there. Or just follow me on Instagram at jamieivy and you can find them. Here's what's fun about it. Every single week, we are giving away some Happy Hour swag to one person who has shared one of the Happy Hour shareables for birthday month. I posted a bunch of them this last weekend when the Happy Hour turned six, and I loved your responses. Right now, the winner is Renee Gilhart in Wisconsin. Renee, thank you for being such a great supporter of all we do at the Happy Hour. I loved seeing your picture on Instagram. Email us at podcast at with your address and shirt size. Check all of the shareables out and share with me your favorite happy hour guests so far. Tell me your dream guests for the happy hour. I cannot wait to see them. On today's show, my guest is Paula Ferris. You probably know Paula best as an Emmy Award journalist, former co anchor of Good Morning America Weekend Edition, co host of The View, and she is currently a senior national correspondent at ABC News. This conversation is the first time that I met Paula, and it did not take long to know that this lady is the real deal and someone I am so happy to call a friend now. Paula and I chat about how God asked her to walk away from what the world, and if we're honest, we sometimes view as a wildly successful career. Paula and I chat about the space of faith and being known in the media and how she's navigated those waters and why her podcast Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris is helping her live out her true calling. Friend, I have a question for you. Have you ever been hurt before when you shared something from your story? Have you ever opened up to a friend about something that you were walking through and you felt like they thought less of you? My hunch is that yes, you have been hurt. And yes, people have thought less of you because it's happened to me, because we're humans and we make mistakes like that. I know that hurts. And I know that it is painful to carry those wounds from other people. But I have two important things to tell you. Number one, Jesus does not think less of you no matter how horrible your story is, no matter how many times you've struggled with the same thing, Jesus does not think less of you. He loves you. And here's the hard one, but it's true. It's actually okay people think less of you when you share your story, as long as they think more about Jesus. Right now, we are currently going through the Bible study, Your Story Matters. And this week, we're going through that fifth lie, which is that lie that we just talked about, that sometimes we think... People are going to think less of us, and that keeps us from sharing our stories with the world. And if you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that I believe that our stories actually have the ability to change the world, that God works through our stories to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're interested in getting rid of the lies that keep us from living free, check out the Your Story Matters Bible Study. The world needs to hear your story. Visit Jamieiv.com slash your story matters. You can still grab it for $19 and you can jump in with us right now during week five. Then you can finish out week six with us next week and then loop back around and start at the very beginning. It's all online. Everything's emailed to you. You can go through the study whenever you want, however fast you want. And I know that God is going to use this to change women's lives. Text a girlfriend today and ask if she wants to join you. Go to jamieivy.com slash your story matters. Okay, friends, here's my conversation with my new friend, Paula Ferris. Hey, Paula, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you, Jamie. Are we supposed to show up with a happy hour drink? I always wish that we could show up and we could do like a virtual like cheers to each other clanking
2: of glasses here we go here we go yeah oh oh, that was (laughs) bad (laughs) but we did it anywhere my water
1: clink I know (laughs) if you were here in Austin we would definitely go to a great restaurant and have a happy hour
2: but I'm so bummed that the book tour didn't work out but listen you know God's got certain plans and uh, he's in control and he's got it all taken care of but I feel like we're having a great conversation face to face now Virtually, but face-to-face. Everything's virtually.
1: Okay. So we're in the middle, we're recording this in the middle of this um, quarantine with COVID-19, the Mm -hmm. pandemic that we will all remember from 2020. And so you just mentioned book tour, but I would love to ask you, how has your life kind of been upended and what does
2: work look like for you Mm -hmm. in the midst of Mm -hmm. all of this? It's been totally upended. I think in some positive ways though, we're spending a lot of family time together, I think we're all slightly annoyed with one another at certain points. But I say it's okay to be annoyed with one another. You're going to be annoyed with me. I'm going to be annoyed with you because we're all kind of on top of one another. But, you know, it works different. I've learned I'm not a teacher. Absolutely was not. God did not give me those gifts and talents. Uh, I think patience among them. So I'm not born to be a teacher, but I find myself teaching at least two of my three kids right now. So it's just different, but you know, the thing about it, Jamie, we're all in it together. So some of us are feeling it on a more cellular level where we've lost jobs and significance and, you know, our finances, or we've lost lost loved ones, you know, due to the crisis. So, but we're all in it on some level together. And I'm hoping that this moment, this moment that we will all remember a large part of our history, that it can unite us uh, regardless of our differences. I hope so and
1: it seems to be that way because it feels so large it's not just a city thing or a, or a county thing or a state thing or even just a national thing it feels so big that it's global yeah especially at my age I'm 42 to be the only thing I remember being so global right in my lifetime
2: I was thinking about this. I was talking with a friend about it. Like, what else? Even world wars didn't involve every country. You know, you think about what has involved the entire globe. It's really hard to put your finger on. I mean, you could say like, you know, other pandemics, uh, but even, you know, to this level, I don't think so. I don't think that we've all felt it. Are you and your family in New York City? We live outside of New York City. We live uh, in the suburbs, but we actually left about three weeks ago. My kids were in, um, they go to school in Westchester County, which is one of the hardest hit areas. And my boys' school was one of the first to be shut down because they were in an area called New Rochelle, New York. And that's where the first containment zone, one of the first containment zones in the country was they sent the National Guard in And so uh, they've been they've been out of school at that point for like a couple of weeks. My daughter was out. ABC was telling us not to even come bother coming into work unless you were called in. And so we decided to come down to see my sister in South Carolina. So we're across the street from her. So we're we're in the south. We are in the south. south And it's been good, though, because the kids can run around. I mean, they went fishing today, which was good. And we're not cooped up in our house like we were when we were in New York. So are you still able to work at all? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because never thought that Skype would be an acceptable format to go live or to conduct your um, your business. But yeah, I mean I did everything that I'm doing right now, I can do remotely. I have uh, like my phone here. Ooh, I don't know if you just heard that ding. I have a microphone that I can plug right into my my phone and then I can record my audio and send it back. So that I've always done remotely anyways. And live shots can be done on Skype. I just, I did a GMA um, Instagram live with uh, Hills, one of the Hillsong pastors back in New York and I'm here in South Carolina. So we're find, you know, we're all having to, to modify our life in some form or fashion. And so... This is just, I guess, the new normal. We never thought that, you know, a Skype or, you know, whatever the platform would be, would be acceptable for broadcast. But it is. We're all we're all in it together and we're all changing the way that we do life and do business. So
1: there's a show that TBN has called Better Together. And I love being a, a guest with them. And we recorded a show yesterday. And the hardest part about it for me, Paula, this is like the you're going to see a little bit of my bad character come out. The whole before it started, I was like, where is the makeup chair? Like, why <laughs> am I having to do this all by myself? Where are the lashes? Where is the lady in between every single shot fixing my hair? And so I had to
2: go just as Jamie Ivy, like for real. Like, no, you know what? Added to me. <laughs> we call that your authentic self. For those that are listening to this and not watching it, my hair is dirty. I haven't washed my face today. I have a sports bra on under my dress shirt, and I'm wearing um, Birkenstocks with shorts on. So that's life. It is is life. We're keeping it real. I love it. Well, you mentioned when we started that this whole thing kind of
1: put a little detour, halt, change of plans to your book tour. You just released a book called Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling. And I was telling you before we started, I read your book this weekend and just loved your message. I think it is a really, really great message. You talk a lot about calling and differentiating that, that calling between your faith calling and your vocational calling. And Mm -hmm. you kind of went down this path of having to figure out your true faith calling in A hard way. Mm -hmm. Life gave you a lot of bumps along the way. So, can you take us back and talk about the days when you were working 800 hours a week at three
2: jobs? Yeah, yeah. Like for you? I went to school for broadcast communications and worked my way up through small markets, Dayton, Ohio, and Cincinnati, and Chicago. And then about nine years ago, my husband and I just felt called to go to the network, to go to ABC. And we couldn't really like describe it, but just felt that visceral like tug that you feel when you know God's like asking you to do something that everybody else might think is crazy and you might think is crazy, but you're supposed to obey. So we went to the network about nine years ago, started as the overnight anchor there at ABC at the network. And I didn't even know they had an overnight show, by the way, I worked my way up and then they named me weekend anchor of Good Morning America. And then I was like a host at The View and I'm like this, you know, this is amazing. God, you called me to do this. Right. And then I, my schedule, Jamie was so all over the place. And like, I would go through stretches where I'd work 21 days straight without a day off three little kids. And I'm like, you know, it was that pull, that tug inside of me where I asked God, I'm like, you called me to this place, right? But if so, why do I feel like everyone's getting my leftovers? Mm. My family, my friends, my church, God, I felt like my my professed values were clashing with my professional choices. And so it was a couple of years ago, you know, I'm at the height of my career, anchoring GMA, co-hosting The View, and I really felt God telling me to slow down. And I was like, wait, what? You know, like, no, this is my calling. I'm chasing my calling. And... I dug into, you know, I, I continued to go down that path because my fear paralyzed me. I was like, I knew God was, was calling me to slow down, but I didn't do it because I was scared of what people would think of me. Would they think I'm a failure? Would they think I'm irrelevant that, could, that I couldn't hack it? And then God got my attention through uh, what I refer to as the, a season of hell in the book. And within seven months, I had five major events happen to me. It began with a miscarriage and an emergency surgery. And then incident number two, I am getting ready to go live for Good Morning America on Wall Street, and some kids throw an object at my head 60 miles an hour. I get a concussion. I'm knocked out of work for three weeks. I get cleared to go back to work. The day I get cleared, I get in a head-on car crash. And then I get influenza, which turned into pneumonia. And I was like, okay, God, I know you're telling me that I need to slow down. Even though everyone else is probably going to think it's crazy, I'm at the height of my career and I'm pumping the brakes and I'm getting off the fast track and going on to what track I don't know, I knew I needed to get my life back and I need, knew that I needed to obey and listen to God and listen to this, you know, and just really survey the signs around me. Mm. So, you know, I, I walk away from these two dream jobs, which is where the book opens. It's the conversation that I'm having with my boss telling him. And then what surprised me the most, Jamie, was that once I walked away from these two jobs, I was so lost. I didn't know who I was outside of them because for so long, I'd introduced myself as Paula Ferris and I'm insert profession here. Yep. And I didn't really know what I was anymore. So, you know, that space was the toughest for me because I realized that I had a whole lot of crow to eat because I was on my... You know, haughty perch for so long saying that I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by who I am. I'm a wife. I'm a child of God. I'm a mom, blah, blah, blah. And then the rubber met the road. And yeah, I didn't know who I was. So the book's about, you know, just not just my experience, but there's interviews that I conduct within the book. I know as a journalist and observations about other people who struggled with misplaced significance, I had totally misplaced my significance in what I did. And I think I had clear intentions at the beginning you know, God called me to this. But then along the way, you know, it had become an addiction for me, the Mm -hmm. accolade and the achievement and the spotlight. And it wasn't so much about, it wasn't, you know, it should have been, this is what I'm doing. Here's who I'm doing it for. I'm doing it to glorify God. I'm doing it to show the love of God to others. But it became just about, this is what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for accolade. I'm doing it for accomplishment. And so, yeah, that's kind of what the book's about. But Really being able to root into an unshakable purpose that doesn't change with a personal crisis or a pandemic, you know, a global crisis and really discover what true calling is all about.
1: You know, it's interesting that I'm reading this book and you're talking about this in the midst of this global crisis because a lot of people's jobs are on hold right now. Uh, Now, obviously, there are a lot of people whose jobs have been heightened. You know, our medical care workers and essential workers are just working nonstop, and we're thankful for that. But for some of us, I still get to do interviews like this, but I'm used to traveling a handful of times a month. I've thought a lot in the last month that I've been home of, why do I feel so off because I'm not getting to do what I would normally do? And I related mm-hmm. a lot to what you were talking about on a different level of who am I, this person that does this, or am I more than that? And you talk about a lot in your book about the difference between like calling and career and how yeah. a lot of people say it's the same like your calling yeah, and your career are some, yeah, they're the same, they're synonymous. Yeah. 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 But, you know, you talk about that and I thought that is so, it's so good. And and we, I speak mostly to women here. Um, and so we'll keep that in mind as we talk here. So I see a lot sure. of women who this can be a little confusing and on the flip side can be confusing if there are not in their quote unquote career right now, they seem to be mm-hmm. confused about their
2: calling. Sure. Well, I think, you know. It's just natural that we associate career with calling. It's that they're synonymous, that they're the same thing because it's what we're taught from a young age. What do you want to do when you grow up, when you want to be? It's preached at our churches and at our f- places of worship as if like, you know, our career is our calling. And it's, we're told that from society as well, Jamie. I would introduce myself to you. I'm Paula Ferris, And then I would say, and you are, and you say, I'm Jamie. And then I respond, well, what do you do? As if that's your only value and that's your only worth and contribution to society. So this book is all about telling people your worth isn't your work and your value isn't your vocation and your calling isn't your career. I had to learn that, okay, first and foremost. And then when God kind of set me on this path of discovery, that's when I realized like our purpose and our life calling, as I call it in the book, have nothing to do with Career and what we do, because we are bound to have multiple vocational shifts throughout our life, right? If that's what we cling to and that's what we identify as, the moment that that vocation shifts, we're going to have an identity crisis, correct? Mm -hmm. So when I set out this path, God just really revealed to me listen, we have two callings on our life. We have one, which is our life calling, and that's our purpose, and it's unshakable, unmovable, unrootable, okay? You cannot pull it from the ground. And it is loving God and loving people. Now, if you are someone, uh, you know, outside the Christian faith, you might identify it as something else. Like, you know, my life calling, my purpose is to be a kind human and to treat people with respect. Everything that we, that's who you are. That will never change. Not with a pandemic, not with a personal crisis, nothing. You are here on this earth to love God and love people. What will change is, is the way that you do it, your vocation. So, you know, for me, I feel like, what God really revealed is that you have this vocational calling, which flows out of your life calling. The vocational calling is like a branch and you have multiple branches on a vine. The vine is your life, is your purpose and life calling. It's never going to change. So allowing myself to A, realize that worth isn't work and that I can branch out. My vocation can branch out. And I can do different things. I remember who I'm doing it for. It is always connected to the vine. Okay, and the vocation is just the vehicle and the conduit by which I will love God and love people. So wherever I am placed in that moment, whether I'm a Good Morning America, or The View, or I'm a podcaster, or I'm staying home with my children, or I'm a nurse, that's my ability to love God and love people. It's just the vehicle by which I'm going to do that. So giving myself the permission to branch out, to not be so one dimensional, I'm multidimensional. If you know, as a woman to off ramp, if I want to off ramp for a while and raise my kids, that's great. Don't buy that live from society that says you off ramp and you can never get back in. That is such a load of crap. There you yeah, <laughs> <For>, go. <yes>. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it's all coming from that. You've got to peel back those layers. What is my life calling and purpose? Can I, could I, Do I have a purpose statement outside of what I do? Mm -hmm. Okay. And knowing who you are completely outside of what you do. So let's say a couple of years ago, Jamie, my purpose, I would have said, my name's Paula Ferris and I'm an anchor of Good Morning America and co-host of The View. And I'm here, you know, my purpose on this earth is to, to be, you know, to use my gifts as a broadcaster, to be the best broadcaster that I can be. That's all about doing, right? That's all about what I do. Now, my life calling, my purpose statement is, my name is Paula Ferris. I'm a child of God. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I am uh, curious. I am a question asker, and I am dogged in my approach, and I want to give a voice to the voiceless. It has nothing to do with broadcasting or whatever. It's it's who I am, which is never going to change. But realizing, going back to the beginning, who I am outside of what I do, that worth isn't work. My worth isn't my work. And then giving myself the permission to branch out. So I love yeah. that.
1: And I think it's freeing to so many women because there is a sense, especially for a woman who's trying to build a career or work her way up in some sort of job. And like you said, there's this lie that we believe that if we pull out or branch off for something else, that
2: we're going to be that, Or and we want to stay cool. home with our kids and off ramp that we can never get back in. It's, it's such true. a lie. It's such a lie. Don't buy it. It's such Don't a lie, care. such
1: a lie. One of the things you talked about in that particular chapter was your dad. No, it's been a little over a year since your dad passed away, and you walked through those last couple of months with him. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that journey with even getting to know your dad through his journals and. One of the things you mentioned was you talk about how you want to be known when you, mm-hmm. when you leave this earth and you kind of right. unpack that with your dad a little bit. It was beautiful to hear you talk about. So can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure, I can. My father passed away as I was writing the book and i very close to my dad. One thing you learn when a parent passes away, I mean, it feels as if your tectonic plate shifts. There's something so guttural and and so foundational about you just shifts i my dad i i write in the book that he gave me the gift of perspective and the gift of knowing what's consequential and inconsequential through his death he suffered a horrific death Uh, he had a massive stroke in august of 2018 and lost about 60 he basically starved to death um, and passed away in february of 2019 he had a feeding tube he was intubated But when he suffered the stroke, he was paralyzed on one side. He couldn't eat, drink, speak, swallow. He couldn't even take a sip of water. So he withered away. And my dad, he was a genius. Okay. He was an electrical engineer, a brilliant man, had opportunity after opportunity to move up the chain, to move up the corporate ladder. And he chose to be home uh, and be with the kids, and invest in the family, and invest in relationships, and to love people and to love God. He wasn't always wired that way. He, I write about. I, I discovered a box of old his old journals after he passed, and I feel like he left them for me. My mom didn't even know that they existed, and you could find, you know, within this these journals, you could sense the inner turmoil that he had he had been dealing with, you know, up until he had a relationship with God in his 40s. And, you know, he was a lost soul looking for satisfaction and, you know, success the way that the world would deem success. And it wasn't until he became a Christian that he was at peace with himself. And it was once he found that peace is he realized what was important. And that was, you know, to love God and to love people. And so, it was about a week before he passed my dad, like I said, he couldn't speak. And I asked him a couple of, qu- I was, he, it was about a week before he passed. My dad was crying. And I said, um, you know, I thought maybe he was just in excruciating pain because his body was shutting down. And um, I said, dad, are you crying? Cause you're in pain. And he said, he shook his head. No. I said, are you crying? Because you're sad. And he shook, he shook his head and said, no. And I said, are you crying because you're overwhelmed by the love and the memories and the life that you live? And he said, yes. And he just started weeping. And, you know, I, I look at the sacrifices that he made. He knew it was important and it was relationships and it was loving people through everything that he did. And I'll always remember that moment. And my dad's gravestone says nothing about what he did mm. for a living. It says that he was a loving father, a loving grandfather, a loving husband. It didn't say genius, electrical engineer, did this, did that. And, you know, I, like I said, that was a gift for me to have that last conversation with my dad. He was, you know, throughout his stay in the hospital, when he was just withering away after the stroke, he had so many guests and visitors from church and through his faith community. And it was such a testament to the life that he lived. And he was surrounded by friends and family. The facilities that he was um, in, including hospice, like they hadn't seen anything like that, where someone was just so loved, and you know had lived such a life of purpose, and that was really inspiring to me. So, I dedicated the the book to my dad. So, you know, we miss him a lot. But what a legacy and what a testament and what an example that he left for me and my family, and um, I hope that you know his legacy lives on in the book too.
1: I love, and I could see that in your dad, the love that you had for him and the legacy that he left for you and your siblings and your mom through such a, a, you know, a a hard ending to life, but the way that it transformed um, you and. Whenever you in the book write about asking him if he was overwhelmed, I remember having the thought, I hope that's how I feel too at the
2: end because I hope I feel
1: overwhelmed by that and my family and, you know, hearing the story about your dad and then looking back to the years that you went through that you, you yourself call, you know, the year of hell and God getting your attention and the miscarriage and the pneumonia and the flu and all the things that you went through the concussion. When you look back on that year, do you think, and this might be a hard question. Do you think it was like that God needed to, he was like trying, like almost like shaking you, Paula, like, listen, I'm going to get your attention Uh, somehow." somehow.
2: No, I mean, God literally had to hit me over the head with something to get (laughs) my attention. (laughs) No, honestly, I am a stubborn person. I'm the youngest of four. So I'm inherently, you know, don't tell me what to do. I will figure it out by myself. You have four children. You probably have a child that's like that. And so I didn't listen to the signs from my body that my, when my health was failing, you know, I didn't listen to... You know, trusted people in my life at the time. I didn't listen to what was going on with the relationships around me until God allowed that season of hell to happen. And I do think God, I write about it in the book, allows a Christ a good crisis every now and then to get our attention to help us to reprioritize and reassess our priority compass. okay, are are our professed values clashing with our professional choices or the other choices that we're making in life? Absolutely, yeah. God had to get my attention.
1: It's interesting that you're telling those stories. And then I want to talk about your podcast that you have. It's so loved and just such a great show of intersecting faith in people's lives. And you have a couple of people in here, your book that you have interviewed on your podcast that you talk about. And you were just saying that, and it made me think about a quote you have in here from Jay Williams. And he said after his, you can read the book or listen to the podcast for sure. But after his accident, he said to you, until you really go through some adversity in your life where you have to apply that faith, you don't have an understanding of it He Mm -hmm. said, it wasn't until years later that I recognized the power of saying, wait, why not me? And I wonder if you kind of, if you related to that a lot of having to go through that adversity made you actually had to cling to your faith more than previous
2: to that. Absolutely. And I, people ask me all the time, like, do you have any regrets? Absolutely not. I've learned more through my failures Mm -hmm. and my quote unquote mistakes than I have my successes. Because I just think that's. It's whether it's a paradigm shift or not. I'm grateful for those mistakes that I've made. I don't have regrets, even, you know, some of the more egregious ones that had to happen in order for me to learn. I'm grateful for. For, for those lessons along the way, I really
1: am. I think they're very teachable. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences.
0: today.
1: Speaking of your podcast, tell us about your podcast because I love it and I want to know how much you love it. If you love this as much as you love the other forms of media you've done.
2: Yeah, it's such a different format. Obviously, we can show up in Birkenstocks and cut off shorts and a sports bra underneath a dress top. I mean, the only reason I dressed up for you is because you said there's going to be a visual element. So I'm like, surely you're only going to see the waist up.
1: Surely, um, yes. I have on a tie-dye <laughs> t-shirt today, so I'm super professional, Paula. Yeah,
2: and as I'm putting my shirt on a little bit ago, I, I'm in the bathroom with my husband. I'm like, I smell. So, you know, like, thank God you can't smell me either. I haven't showered today, but it's such a refreshing um, alternative and platform in the sense that with TV, I say it's a lot of work for a little time. It's kind of a pain in the butt. You have, mm-hmm. you know, your bookers and your producers and your camera crew and your audio and then your editors to take what you all of this work you've done. You have maybe 60 minutes of raw material and you got to condense it into two minutes or maybe a minute and a half. So mm-hmm. this format is great. You can have such a lovely organic conversation that just flows. You don't have to hack it up and edit it up. And it just, you get to know people on such a micro, granular, cellular level, and really peel back those layers and find out what makes them tick. You know, when I was stepping away from these "quote unquote" dream jobs, my the president of ABC News. When I'm meeting with him, he said, "So, what do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, I need to get my life back. I want to work Monday through Friday, but I'd also like to put to launch a faith podcast." And I felt like God had put that on my heart because I know how how important my faith is to me. And in the mainstream media, we don't give people that opportunity to talk about their faith. We really don't. So I said, I want to launch this platform where faith you know, intersects with culture and, and you know, on a mainstream media platform. And so we've done three seasons of Journeys of Faith. I talked to influencers and newsmakers about what they believe and why people of many different faiths. So And this, I think, is like a nice intersection of my faith calling and and my life calling where, you know, it doesn't matter who I'm sitting down with, whether they're Sikh or Muslim or Jewish or Christian, you know, they can see a a difference. Mm -hmm. I'm loving God and I'm loving people through this particular vehicle. And it's just been it's been really great. I've really enjoyed it to get to know people on a different level.
1: Well, you've had some amazing guests on, you know, your jobs that you've had have given you a great opportunity to have some great guests. And one of the guests that you have, Michael Strahan, who I enjoy so much, but you guys talk about imposter syndrome. And I always, you know, you always look at people and you think there's no way they struggle with that. And, you know, I mean, I would even think that, about, you know, anyone, a lot of people I would interview as well. I'd be like, they don't have the same struggles that I have. And, and Mm -hmm. what we find as people who talk to people for a living is you really dig down deep and you see, actually, we all struggle with the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And it just feels different sometimes, but deep down, we're all wondering when are they going to find out the gig is up? Like I can't actually, I'm a fraud. I'm not uh-huh. who you think I am. How I have you as a woman in media, in the public eye, how have you worked through just trusting who you are in Christ? I mean, that's our, our ultimate goal as a Christ follower for sure. Of but course. how have you worked through that in your career of pushing away the lies that say, Paula, you can't do this? You, you
2: Oh, fear. You're talking yeah. about fear. fear. Yeah, I think, I mean, fear is one of those things that we all deal with and we all struggle with. And yet we all feel like we're the only one that struggles with it, right? you mentioned imposter syndrome. It typically affects the, some of the most quote unquote successful people who feel like they're a fraud, you know? And Michael Strahan has felt like that. Um, I interviewed him in the book. I have felt like that. Fear for me, you know, I, it prevented me from even getting into broadcasting for a long time. The fear of failure, the fear of what what people are going to, my fear of failure can be paralyzing at sometimes. You know, I went to school for broadcasting, but I emphasized in production and behind the scenes producing and shooting and editing because I didn't believe in myself. Even though I had, you know, professors, trusted people around me saying, this is what you're good at, you should really go for it. I didn't believe it. And so that fear paralyzed me. And it wasn't until 9 11 when I really felt like I saw. The coverage, and I was, you know, just so inspired by the coverage, um, you know, from the reporters in the field and you know the anchors in the studio, and they're guiding our country mm-hmm. through one of the darkest moments that we'll ever see. Um, I felt in that moment the dream that everyone else had for me for so long, I felt it for myself, but I also felt like I've got to push through this fear. And I felt God speaking to me, you know, in the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And it's, you know, it's from Joshua one, I think. And it says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid for the Lord, your God is with you everywhere you go. And that verse has stuck with me forever and ever. It's really the verse and uh, that gave me that empowered me to, to go for it and to get back into broadcasting, you know, in that moment. And what I love about that verse is. You know, don't be afraid. So A, it acknowledges our fear. We all have this fear, right? And then B, it says, you know, have I not commanded you? God is telling us we cannot sit in our fear. We are commanded to move past that fear. And then don't be afraid. The Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. Don't be discouraged. Don't be afraid. So it acknowledges those emotions. But it says, have I, I've commanded you to push through that. And I'm going to be there for you. So I was like, God, you better show up. I'm trusting you to show up. You know, I'm going for this. I finally, you know, I, this is finally caught up with me. And I know if God calls you to do something, he will equip you. Mm-hmm. And I claim that and you need to claim that too. Yeah. But you also need to know when God is calling, moving you in another direction. Yeah. And he that's what he's been doing for me.
1: Like another branch, like you had said before. Yep,
2: kind of different branches. Different branch. yeah,
1: <laughs> Exactly.
2: Yeah, yep. um, You know, you've had to, a
1: lot of us have to deal with this and the fear and we have to deal with disappointments. And some of us even have to deal with failures and things like that. And you've had to deal with that publicly. You tell a story in your book about when you asked to step back from the view a little bit and, and they pulled you back a little bit and how the media, the team, you're, what you're a part of, you are a journalist, the media kind of turned on you and you had this public I don't want to use the word bashing. I don't know what words you would use. But this I would just kind of- say public humiliation, a little bit of character assassination. Yeah,
2: yes, yes. And <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't like character assassination in my DMs with someone telling me they don't like me. And that's not even public. How have you kind of had to deal with, and I know that you've had to because you are in the media and the public eye. How have you had to deal with trusting their care to be true, no matter what anyone else might say about you?
2: I think it's just believe- knowing who you are. -hmm. Knowing who you are in Christ and knowing your identity in Christ. I mean, it did bother me. You know, there was an article, there have been several, you know, disparaging articles, character assassinating articles, you know, that I was axed from the view. And there was a, you know, a couple of doozies in the Daily Mail that, you know, talked about um, how I had like a dressing room blowout with my executive producer. I think one of the lines was, Forget the, the verse that says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Paula Ferris is vowing revenge. And I just like, I, where did they get this stuff? And it was so unfounded. And I just had, you know, A, when you work in a spotlight, it, it, even if you don't, you have to, re- like, you cannot. And I told my daughter this, I, I actually used this as a talking point for her and a teaching moment for her because it was so tough for me because I tend to care too much what people think about me. And I think as women, we may. Right. feel that probably more so. And I said, you know what, honey? I can't control any of this right now. I can't control that their narrative. I can't control what they're deciding to write about me. But what I can control and what they can never take away from me is my attitude and how I respond to the situation. And people are going to be looking at me. They're going to be looking at you regardless of the, the, the trial that, that, I don't know, Jamie, those that are listening. When you're mm-hmm. faced with something like this, It it reveals your character. It doesn't define your character. It reveals it and they're going to be looking to see how you respond and guess what nobody can take away my response. No one can take away my attitude and that right there is empowering and embrace it because no one can ever take that away from you, but I can't control the other circumstances. So why why freak out about it?
1: It's so good, and that even when you're saying that, I mean, that is not something that just someone who you know is on the view has to deal with. That is all of us,
2: all All of us.
1: That there are always opportunities for us to not be able to control other people's voices or opinions, but we can control the way we react to it, and and that will be where our character will come through and shine, and that is a really, really good lesson to be taught for all of us. Oh, but
2: it is hard as heck, is it not? Like, I want to get the last word in. I want to keep the final swing. I want to handle things my way, but I have to remember, God's got the last laugh. God will take care of it for me, okay? So when something like that happens, Paula,
1: do you even respond to that?
2: You know, I wanted to respond to some of those articles, um, but I just, you know what? I just had to, I had to let it go. I mean, oh, I'm, oh, wow. I, yeah, it is so tough. I, I mean, it's like everything in me
1: in head like a thousand times. You wrote oh, it out. You had it absolutely. ready. To go. <laughs> Cause
2: I'm, I don't know if you've ever done the Enneagram. Like I'm a uh-huh. challenger. I'm a born challenger. I like to challenge people, authority mm-hmm. things. So I want to get that last word in, mm-hmm. even though it's not always necessary. Uh-huh. So it was so difficult for them to seemingly have the power. And that's why I was like, you know what? They don't have the power. I have the power because I'm going to respond to it. And I'm going to respond, you know, when they go low, I'm going to go high or at least maybe medium, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> maybe <laughs> medium, in the middle. you know, in the middle, yeah. Right in the middle. but <laughs> yeah, it's so difficult. I'm not going to say it's not. So, but just remember, like, no one can take that away from you. Yeah. Nobody yeah. can take that away from you. So. It's so
1: good. How have you handled being a journalist and then being a journalist on TV? How have you handled balancing your faith in those areas mm-hmm. as well?
2: I just think to myself, if not me, then who? And that's when it gets back to realizing that the vocation is just the vehicle. I'm here to love God and love people in this moment. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about who I'm doing it for. I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. And yes, this is how I want to react in the situation. This is what I want to do. But is that going to be a reflection of Jesus? This might be the only encounter that this person has with Jesus in their entire life. And I want it to be a positive one. So just remembering what we're doing, who we're doing it for. Mm-hmm. And also like, you know, God needs people in every capacity and virtually every line of work. And we're called to be the light and dark spaces, not the light and light places. Mm-hmm. So just remember, you know, everything that you do, your purpose is loving God, loving people and, and the way that you're uniquely equipped to do it as your vocation, um, whatever that may be. And it's just a vehicle. So remembering it's not so much about the job. It's my responsibility to love God and love people. Like this is this is an opportunity to go to work today and not worry about all the awards that we're gonna win, not worry about the accolades, but to somebody needs to see Jesus today.
1: I love that because I think that you can take that advice and then you can throw that into any career. Any, any career, my main job is to love God and love people, and you and you talk about that in your book when you talk about our calling. Is that that calling that's never changed? Love God, make Him known, love His people. That's that's what we're to do, and so you can just take that into every area. And I think that that it's it relieves a little bit of pressure as well that we might put on ourselves that like Absolutely. I've got to tell everyone I see like all about the Book of Romans, and hopefully like they will become a. Nope, I just
2: need to love them and show them. You Jesus. know what? And that's the thing. Like, what good is all of the talk if you're not going to walk. And Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's like, they'll know you're, they're Christians by their love for one another. What is the difference that people see in us? How are we going to respond to a situation differently than someone else might respond? If they don't see love in your actions, then it's void. It's moot and it's worthless.
1: There's a beautiful story in the book, and I'm not going to ask you to tell it so that people can read it. But you experienced that what we just talked about with a a coworker of yours, and how you were with them when someone did not show them the love of Christ, Mm -hmm. and you had the opportunity to do that. And it was a beautiful story, and it was a great reminder of of people if we want to show them Jesus, we have to show them love and and not absolutely.
2: And and so, what are we for? Yeah, what are we for? Not what are we against? And I always say. I say like let the Holy Spirit like it's not our job to change people. It's our job to love people and let the Holy Spirit work through them. But I they have that. to see a difference in you first. I love they that really what we say that
1: at our house often is the church has sometimes been known for what they're against and what they're for and the idea what we're for and not what we're against. And so That's
2: so good. That's
1: here. That's what we're trying to
0: do. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus the true accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for fifty percent off. That's fifty percent off unlimited access to twenty five language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your fifty percent off. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom Calls, we're here to answer. Call us at one eight 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 freedom Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5GB data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023.
2: So good. Okay, so are you a reader? Yes, I do like to, but my reading's like all over the place. But I, I really love Mystery. I like a page-turner. I'm ADD, so I need like a really good book to keep my attention. Mm-hmm.
1: What have you read lately that you've loved?
2: loved the silent patient i read that about probably like nine months ago i read it in a day i would love to say that i read a lot of self-help books but i really don't i am reading tim keller's counterfeit gods which he wrote years ago and it's interest it's interesting because he wrote it after the collapse and you know about 12 years ago in the market and to see how many parallels there are and like misplacing our significance and putting our our value in the wrong things. I'm reading this book by Seth Haynes, the book of waking up. Oh, wait, I've got another one to show you. you laugh. Okay? okay. My sister actually walked into my bedroom and saw this by, um, by my bedside. It's Nancy drew
1: the secret of shadow ranch book number okay. five.
2: Okay. Did you read Nancy drew growing up? I did, but I don't like, it's not like I have this nostalgia with it. Oh my gosh. I want it. There was a book. A Nancy Drew book about living on a houseboat and I wanted to live on a houseboat desperately but I can see like I'm an investigator at heart like I'm curious and I have I wanted to be Nancy Drew so anyways I got my daughter a series of Nancy Drew books and just you know just for for giggles I said I'm gonna read one of these books to to flash back to my childhood so I'm reading a Nancy Drew book she's read the other four in the five book series and I'm reading that so so love it. yeah, love it. a little all over the place.
1: I love it so much. Paula, thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. Well,
2: wow, it's been so fun. Let's do our water cheers again. Here our we go. Our water. Yay. Water. Clink, clink. Um, yeah.
1: So it's been thank fun. You so much, thank you so much for your words and for just being an example for us to remember that we have one that our true calling is our, you know, that we've been called by God. And so thanks for being in that. Thanks for writing your book. Um, called out, why I traded two dream jobs for a life of true calling. And it's oh. been a joy to chat with you today.
2: Next time I'm in Austin, I'm gonna look you up and I'm gonna I hope the remodel's done by then.
1: Dear Lord, I hope the remodels done by the time this is all over. But come to Austin and I'll take you to get the best Tex mex chips and salsa margaritas in town.
2: Queso? Would you queso? queso to- Oh, yep. Okay. You're a woman after my own heart. Thank you. Thank Maybe you for having me on. It's been so kids. great. We can go to a Longhorn game. Yeah. Yes. We love sports. I know you do. Okay. So I, mm-hmm. yep. We are kindred spirits here. That's, that's it's fun. been great. It's been really great. And thanks to everybody for listening and for supporting yeah. the book. And let me know, you can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. I have the same handle. Let me know what you think about the book. Looking forward to hearing everybody's thoughts. Awesome.
1: Thank you, Paula. Have a great day. Thanks. God bless. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you. You guys, I love stories like Paula's because it is such an example of God's kingdom ways overriding those of the world we live in for now. Paula's book, Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Drops for a Life of True Calling is available now wherever books are sold. And be sure to check out Paula's podcast, Journeys of Faith with Paula Ferris, to learn a bit more about the faith stories of the influencers in our world. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Quinn Pearson, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, I'm sharing a conversation that I had pre-coronavirus with my friend, Lauren McAvee. Lauren is full of biblical encouragement, and I have been so thankful for her words in my life over these past couple of months. Lauren is a friend who reminds me of what is true in the midst of times that feel like the truth is so hard to see. Like right now sometimes, you guys. You will not want to miss our conversation and I am having very fond memories of it because we sat together in my tiny house and recorded. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Have a virtual happy hour with a friend. Find our shareables and share on your social medias and maybe we could get you a brand new t-shirt. I'll see you next week with my friend, Lauren.